Welcome back to the Pumps and Systems podcast. I'm your host, Drew Champlin, managing editor of Pumps and Systems magazine, and you can visit us on the web at pumpsandsystems.com. Today, I will be speaking with our editor, Jennifer King, and our associate editor, Evie Arthur, about what's going on in the May 2022 issue of Pumps and Systems magazine. You can already find that online. You can hopefully, if you are a subscriber, you've already got it in your mailbox but you can go to uh, digital.pumpsandsystems.com and you'll be able to pull it up right away. So uh, you can also search and subscribe to the Pumps and Systems podcast on any podcast platform such as Apple, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, CastBox, or you can go to pumpsandsystems.com slash podcasts and get caught up on all the episodes. I believe we are at 70 now, so it's a Pretty good number on a lot of different topics, but this this we're going to talk about the uh, the May issue and the big focus for our May issue is on potable water. When we have usually three big water issues every year, uh, February is the groundwater storm water, or at least that's been that way the last couple of years. May, as long as I've been here since twenty late twenty seventeen, has been potable water, clean drinking water, and then September is our huge wastewater issue, which will go to the WefTech conference this year is in it is in new orleans but let's talk a little bit about potable water uh jennifer i wanted to ask you uh you know why is this topic so important for our readers what do you want to say about it and and do you want to talk a little bit about what some of the cover series articles are yeah absolutely you know i think um the topic of potable water is something that all of us can kind of wrap our heads around you know, I know when it comes to if, if you're in a different industry, maybe you're in chemical processing or a food and beverage or pulp and paper, it's one of those that the real um, complications and intricacies of those processes are probably not something that's like super easy to explain. But when you talk to the public about clean drinking water, it, there, it's just a no brainer. Everybody really understands the necessity of it, the critical need for people around the world to have access to clean drinking water. And not just that, because obviously potable water is one of those that's um, inclusive of a lot of other types of water. So, you know, you're talking about water that has been treated for different processes in industry or water that has been treated for agriculture. So, um, you know, one of the things that we found when we were putting this issue together, actually our associate editor, Evie Arthur, um, came across a statistic that said that 771 million people worldwide do not have clean water close to home. So the fact that they have to, you know, travel a long distance or have some sort of mechanism of getting that water to them, it's startling to think that that number of people um, you know, don't have the access that, for instance, the three of us editors have to clean drinking water. So we have some articles in that um, cover series that come from a few different companies and address the um, a lot of different issues that have to do with potable water. Uh, one of those is um, from ITT. We have an article on reverse osmosis costs. We have also have an article about potable reuse as an alternative water supply. Um, that article is from Xylem and has to do with a case study in Florida. And then we also have an article from JH Process Equipment 
that talks about drawing water from natural resources in off the grid locations. Um, and then we have a piece from Grunfis on water disinfection with chlorine gas. Um, but to kick off that cover series, uh, one of our the first articles that kicks off that series is actually the article you wrote, uh, Drew, on regulations concerning PFAS. Yeah, we had a couple of uh, staff written articles in this May issue, one by me and one by Evie on infrastructure, which we'll get to in just a second. I also wanted to say before I talk about my articles, the the stat you mentioned about the uh, 771 million people who don't have access to clean water close to home. That's also uh, we have our on the curve stats page. It's kind of got graphics and numbers and stuff uh, the last few months. And you can look at that on page 14. And that statistic is on there. Um, but the article I had a chance to write, and I really want to say that the people I talked to really made this article on, uh, you know, it's titled Big Problems Take a Long Time to Solve and how the, the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, is working to combat PFAS. And, you know, it's easier said than done. So I had a chance to get some insight from Ben Freck, who is the Public Relations and Government Affairs Manager for the National Groundwater Association, there's a little bit a little bit of overlap and carryover with groundwater and, and the clean drinking water. I had a chance to meet with Ben last year at the uh, NGWA conference in Nashville. It was great meeting Ben. And then I also got some intel from Nick Armstrong, who is the global product man manager from Denora Water Technologies, and had a chance to get his answers over email, just really on why limiting PFAS is a challenge in the United States. And, you know, it's just, it's everywhere. It's hard to you know, it's hard to do. It takes a long time. You know, Ben notes that Congress banned lead pipes from being used in 1986, and we're still investing in efforts to remove and replace them across the country. And that was, gosh, 35 years ago or 36 years ago. So, you know, there's just a lot, lot going on. You know, these are substances, uh, you know, PFAS or PFAS are they're chemicals that break down slowly over time. So, you know, they're found in the blood of people and animals around the world, and they're present in low levels in a variety of food products and in the environment, you know, found in water, air, fish, and the soil. And, you know, exposure to some of these may be linked to harmful health effects in humans. So, you know, you've got uh, the government or these rules wanting to have stricter rules on PFAS to affect water treatment policies. So, you know, the tighter the standards are, the, the tighter the regulations should be as well. So, but there's going to be challenges because most of these utilities, as Armstrong noted, are not testing for PFAS at this time due to lack of regulation. So they're going to have to develop testing methods, integrate those into existing procedures, and just do a lot more of that as well. So uh, that article is going to be on page 38, and it'll be online on pumpsandsystems.com this month. You know, we're recording this in early May, and by the time you listen to this, you may it may already be online. Uh, we like to spread our articles out. Over, over the course of the month um, as to not just put them all out on May 1st because then we wouldn't have as much fresh new content every day. But uh, that wasn't the only article that was written in, by, by one of our staff members. I want to bring in Evie, and I know you and Jennifer can talk about this because you are both very passionate about this, but uh, the infrastructure article, why don't you guys kind of you know lead into that and, and, and talk about how important that is? Absolutely. Um, 
So this issue, I wrote about the progress that we've seen since the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act was passed. Um, and I think it was passed around, I think it was in January. So this was the federal um, infrastructure funding bill. Um, and so the this year, the government allotted $55 billion for water infrastructure improvements um, all over the country, which is to date the largest investment made in water infrastructure by the federal government ever. Um, and so the main focus this year um, by the Biden administration has been removing lead pipes and focusing more on water reuse, um, as well as like general upkeep of, of water utilities and, um, and pipes and those sorts of things. Um, so we were kind of looking at how that funding will look and be dispersed and what it will look like for these projects to be popping up um, all over the country. Uh, so one interesting statistic that actually didn't make it into the final version of the article was the um, lead pipe removal in Madison, Wisconsin back in 2001. Uh, we just thought this was like an interesting case study about what it actually looks like removing a city's worth of lead pipes. So in Madison in 2001, it took 11 years and $15.5 million to remove all 8,000 of their, all 8,000 lead water pipes. Um, so that, you know, that again, that's, that's old information and, um, you know, things have changed, of course, over the last 21 years. Um, but we just thought that could be an interesting little insight into what this might kind of end up looking like, which, of course, um, we'll see how things play out. Uh, we originally wanted to, with the story, kind of focus on what what sort of projects have been popping up now um, since the, the bill was passed in January. But it seems like things are still kind of in progress right now. Um, and so we'll hopefully do an update on this um, in the coming months to see, talk about what is actually in progress right now um, and being worked on currently. Um, so until then, um, go read the current article. It's on page 36 of our cover series um, and it kicks off the cover series actually. Um, Jen, did you wanna add anything to that or? No, just, you know, I, I think that um, we are all eager in this industry to see how these dollars are going to be spent um, and where that's going to come into play for the systems that we take care of. And so it's been great to kind of track some of the progress or some of the money and where it's going. And I'm just um, hopeful for as much transparency and information um, in the future so that we can really just really hope that the dollars go where they're really needed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, that's, that's essentially it for the cover series. Be sure to go check it out. Um, another uh, section we have this month in our magazine is the special section, which is on instrumentation controls and monitoring. And we've got some great stuff there this month. Um, Barbara Paget from Win911 wrote about how remote alarm notification software improved the efficiency of an Oregon farm. Um, Peter Cronus of Win Winters Instruments wrote about advantages of popular field bus networks um, and which ones may work best for specific applications. Um, and then um, Sensophone talked about the remote monitoring technology that can help users monitor flow rate and vibration levels, as well as maintain peace of mind, um, even when operating older pumps. Um, so that is, in a nutshell, the special section on instrumentation controls and monitoring. 
Um, so I, we have a whole bunch of other stuff that we cover in this issue. Drew, did you want to talk about some other topics we covered? Yeah, yeah, and you can get to the special section before you get to the cover series, and and all this will obviously be online throughout the month of May. But you know, later in our issue, we've got just hit on a couple of other topics as well. You know, key considerations for selecting a portable mixer from Neptune, and then about how deragging technology can aid and use municipal wastewater spillage preventions from Clearwater Controls, which is an industrial flow solutions company, and then. Obviously, our departments are very popular. We've got the HI pump FAQs from the Hydraulic Institute on bowl efficiency and systems curves for viscous applications. Those are always, uh, you know, get a lot. You know, people love the Q&A. So that's, you know, HI provides that for us every month. Uh, uh, also from the Hydraulic Institute was our efficiency 101 article from Pete Gaden, who, who helps us a lot uh, with, with the HI FAQs and a lot more. And uh, that is on improving efficiency in pumping systems. Pretty basic article there, which our readers love. Sealing sense is on your guide to expansion joints and pulp and paper from Garlock sealing technologies. And then uh, we're happy to have uh, submersible solutions back in our issue this month uh, from Jesse Hinther of Franklin Electric, uh, part of the Submersible Wastewater Pumping Association. And you want to go read that about factors to consider when selecting and installing a submersible motor. And you know, like I mentioned, it's in the print edition. It's going to be online throughout the month. If you want to read that digital edition, just go to digital.pumpsandsystems.com. But I uh, want to ask uh, Jennifer, you know, our columns, you work with our columnists every month. And, and I believe we have someone uh, who we haven't heard from in a while uh, writing a column this month. Am I right? Yeah, we did. We are happy to have William Lavodi. Um, I think he usually goes by Bill. So Bill Lavodi back in the magazine this month. And he's actually going to come in with a three-part uh, column over the course of the next few months for us. And he wrote about the importance in selecting a pump repair shop and the things that you need to consider when making that selection. Uh, we were happy that he gave us sort of a questionnaire that you can use to make sure that you're getting what you need from a pump repair shop before you actually do a site visit. So I'll be excited to see um, what his next two parts for this column uh, will kind of cover in the months to come. And then um, our second column that we have for this month is from our ever-present and um, our ever-popular Jim Elsie. And this month he wrote about the root cause of shaft failure and why it isn't just about the strength of the material used. Um, he mentions that a designer must take into account a number of other things, including torque, speed, various stresses, such as key geometry and placement, fillet radius, surface finish, hydraulic load, uh, component weight and bearing placement and span. So there's a lot of things that go into shaft failure that may not necessarily be um, related to the material. So those were the two columns for the May issue. Too, but I wanted to also um, point out one thing. One of our other columnists, uh, Lev Nellick, he has actually recently finished up a book that he's been working on. Um, a good portion of the book is actually a collection of some of the articles he's written for us at Pumps and Systems. So it's awesome to have those included in his book. 
but that book is called Pumps and Pumping Systems Made Easy and Fun, Volume One, A Bedside Companion. And so um, he has mentioned to me that the best way to get a hold of that book, if you're interested, or if you would like to get a synopsis from him um, before you make that purchase is to just email him. So his email address is Dr. Pump. So D-R-P-U-M-P at pumpingmachinery.com. And that's Dr. Pump at pumpingmachinery.com. Can't wait to dive deep into that. Uh, of course, you know, I've read a lot of Lev's columns or Dr. Nellick's columns over the years. So uh, I've probably actually read maybe half of that book by now. But there's a lot of uh, Lev, uh, Dr. Pump has a lot of a lot of fans uh, who read his columns and we hear from. So that's going to be a, a great supplement for anyone doing their job. Uh, wanted to share a couple of events that we've been able to go to or are going to. Well, actually, this is really just me, but uh I had a chance last week in late April to go up to Rock Hill, South Carolina. Atlas Copco was doing a sustainability event to promote what they are trying to do as far as, you know, going using more electric equipment, going more green, stuff like that. I think a lot of uh, OEMs out there are trying to do that, but it looks like Atlas Copco is one of them, and they have a pretty good uh, platform for how they want to do things and how they want to, you know, increase their electric sales from, you know, 2 to 4% right now to close to 30% or at least 30% by, by 2030. So had a chance to talk to some of the uh, Atlas Copco employees about that, some of the guys in uh, management about that, and we'll write and let you know what they had to say later this month on pumpsandsystems.com, but wanted to thank them for having me up to that event. And then I'll mention this next month as well. Uh, the ESA convention is going to be in St. Louis at the America Center, and it's June 25th to the 28th. Uh, the exhibit hall will be open the 26th to the 28th, and that's a Sunday through Tuesday. I uh, had a chance to go to ESA the last three years that we had it, and last year it was in Fort Worth, and that was kind of right before the um, the Delta variant hit, and it was really not much. Uh, the international visitors couldn't get in, so a little bit smaller convention than they normally have in the past but i think just looking at the floor plan it's going to be a lot bigger this year so looking forward to that uh pumps and systems will have a booth there i'll be there with some members of our sales reps and that is going to be booth number 1136 and it's right right across from the new solutions theater so hopefully that'll be a good spot for us and what i hope to have uh, we're going to have an article uh from an ESA member in our june issue and hope to have someone from ESA to talk to me just about what's going on, maybe for a June issue podcast. So that'll be good as well. So uh, Jen, I know we've got some pretty good webinars and, and other important events coming up that you can access on our website. What, uh, what can you tell our listeners about that? Yeah, absolutely. So right now we are currently hosting every Tuesday um, the SWAPA University courses. We are actually doing course number three today, but if anyone is still interested in signing up for that, I recommend you go to swapa.org, that's S-W-P-A.org, and check out that offering um, with them. You could still get the classes that have already passed on demand to watch at your convenience and then attend the other courses live. And the nice thing about those courses is they are taught by experts in the industry. Um, today's class is AC Electric Motors for Submersible Pumps by Chris Caldwell of Pete Duty and Associates. 
Um, we've had some uh, teachers that have come from Xylem and from uh, Franklin Electric, I believe. And so we've had a number of people who have um, been able to answer questions live, which is always super helpful. So those classes are again Tuesdays from two to three central time um, through the middle of June. And you can go to swapa.org to check those out. Um, we also have some webinars that Pumps and Systems is hosting with partners including the video deflection technology webinar on May 12th. That is with Urbest Instruments. That will be at 12 p.m. Central Time. That is for free. You can sign up now. And if you can't attend live with us on May 12th, you can always watch that on demand. The link will be emailed to you. Um, last week, we had a webinar from Uniblock Pump about getting the most out of your pump in CIP and COP applications. So most um, having to do with food safety. I learned some interesting things about peanut butter processing and ice cream processing. So that was a fun one. <laughs> but that uh, video recording of that presentation is available on demand. So you just sign up on our website at pumpsandsystems.com slash webinars. Yeah, some, some great educational tools there, pumpsandsystems.com and swpa.org for all you guys that listen to our, you know, we have a great partnership with the Submersible Wastewater Pump Association. So I wanted to wrap this up, but just with some somber news, you know, we were made aware recently that one of our authors, uh, Bruce Brabant, who was with Desuric Valves in uh, Sartell, Minnesota, recently passed away in February. And uh, I was really sad to hear that, you know, Bruce wrote three articles for us really actually in the, in the recent uh, recent months dating back to September 2021 when he wrote on valve solutions for mine dewatering and then December 2021 on valve selection for the safe operation and protection of the pump station and then uh, in February of this year defining expectations during valve selection so uh, really sad to hear about that I appreciate Gene over at Zurich uh, giving, giving me a heads up and letting me know about that uh, last month so our Thoughts and prayers are with Bruce's family, and I, I've never met Bruce, but had a chance to email with him a good bit over the last few months. So uh, thoughts and prayers are with his family and with the Desuric family. Seemed like a great guy. So, um, yeah, that will wrap up this edition of the Pumps and Systems podcast. Please go search and subscribe on any podcast platform. Apple, SoundCloud, Stitcher, CastBox, you know, if you have an iPhone or if you have an Android like I do, you'll be able to access this podcast. Please rate us and review us. And I'd also love to get some emails from you guys and what else you want to hear on the podcast or if you want to suggest a good technical guest for our listeners. And you can email me at dchamplin at kahabamedia.com. I'll spell that out for you. D-C-H-A-M-P-L-I-N at C-A-H-A-B-A. M-E-D-I-A dot com. Until next time, thank you so much for listening. <laughs>